Hey there, this is Jacob. Be forewarned that this episode features discussions of homophobia and sexual violence and sexual assault. So, listener discretion is advised. Hello! Welcome back to First Film. My name is Jacob Berkowitz. I'm Dan Feingold. And this should hopefully be the second episode of First Film. So this is a show where we talk about a famous director's films through the lens specifically of their first film. Um, originally, when I planned today's episode, Wonder Woman 1984 was scheduled to come out a week from release of this episode. Um, unfortunately, that's not happening anymore because everything is just continuously getting pushed back. Dan, who's... Whose films did we watch this we week? We watched Patty Jenkins' two films. Yes, the the famed Wonder Woman director only has two feature films. Um, we were hoping to prepare for Wonder Woman 1984. Alas, uh, did not happen. Dan, <laughs> how many of Patty Jenkins' films had you seen prior to prepping for this episode? I saw, so there's Monster yes. from 2003. That's the first film. And then there's Wonder Woman 2017. I had seen Wonder Woman but this was my first time seeing Monster. Yeah, I had never seen Monster before either. Oh. Um, but I had been meaning to see it. I knew like Charlize Theron won an Academy Award for it, and we love Charlize Theron. Mm-hmm. I, it's one of those films that I had known since like, about since high school, because it came around... It's a movie that came out when I was like a child, and I'm like, oh, this is a good movie. It won Academy Awards. But it was, it was always on TV. I just never got around to yeah, it. Yeah, I am surprised to hear that you had not seen this, because watching it, I was like, oh, this is a Jake movie. Because <laughs> it's miserable. Because it's misery. Because it's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> unpleasant to watch for the most part. And, would you and I was be... like, this is something Jake would watch and over you know and over what? and over again. I'm going to... I'm not going to bury the lead. I did love Monster. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get into the specifics. Um, I want to start off with just in case anyone isn't super familiar with her i actually learned a lot while doing the little research i do for the biographies um if you would allow me i will jump in to the biography portion Please of our show take it away all right so patricia leah jenkins born july 24th 1971 to mother emily roth who was an environmental scientist and father william t jenkins who was an air force captain and fighter pilot um, because of her dad's work, Patty moved around a ton, um, her and her family, which included her older sister, Elaine, they moved from like Victorville to, which is in California to Lawrence, Kansas, and even in Washington, DC, various biographies have different accounts, but those are the places I picked up on. Um, this is the sad part of the biography. Um, when Patty was only seven years old, her dad passed away during a NATO mock dog fight. When he was only a thirty-one, mock dog year. fight. Yeah, so apparently, I mean, there aren't too many air battles these days, obviously. But right. NATO was still conducting like mock battles for some reason, so no shots were fired. But I mean, when you're in an pl- airplane, shit gets. I guess there's up. always a chance you crash in a plane. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, her dad did that. That is, yeah. Which I mean, Air Force pilots. You see pilots and crashes in Wonder Woman. Not to bury the lead. I uh, mean, there. also both the leads in Wonder Woman and Monster do not have dads. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, very there. different circumstances yes. for both those characters. But um, but yeah, just something to pick up there. Um, so from there, Patty's mom took Patty and her sister to San Francisco, hoping that Patty. How would... how, how old was she at that time? So when her father passed away, yeah. she was only seven years old. Okay. So very young. Yeah. 
Um, so they moved to San Francisco. Patty's mom hoped that Patty would also become an environmental scientist. But in San Francisco, Patty saw in 1978, she saw the film Superman. And it was this film that Patty claims would later inspire her to pursue a career in filmmaking, mm. which also scans. Um, so then Patty made her way through high school. She developed an interest in screen printing, photography. She got a BFA from Cooper Union in 93. She studied painting. And at age 20, she was interning at a production company, and someone suggested to her that she could get film training if she were willing to work on film sets for free. Um, so she did that for several months before she became a clapper loader and a focus puller, and then she was she did that that for like the better part of a decade. I, I read focus puller too, and what yeah. what does what job is that? Is that literally adjusting the focus on the camera? Yeah. So as okay. cameras moves, you make sure that right. cameras stay okay. in focus. You're That's basically like first assistant camera. It's like pretty important job. I mean, yeah. If you do that job poorly, the you movie fuck sucks. Up the movie, yeah. you get the room, yeah. and it's shit. Um, <laughs> So she did that for the better part of the decade, and then on set of a Michael Jackson music video, mm. um, the DP of that music video was like, hey, you should go to AFI and study directing. So she did that. Um, little. I like that th yeah. this implies that like anytime anyone suggested anything to Patty Jenkins, she, she was, was just like, like okay. all right, immediately excelled at it to the absolute highest it's level, degree. and then someone was like, hey, you should do this. She's like, all right. Fine, I'll do it, and I'll, I'll do it. I'll be freaking amazing at that, too. Um... I would be remiss if I did not mention that one of my good friends, who is now currently attending film school, had a professor who was one of Patty's professors at oh. AFI. Um, and the professor claimed that Patty wasn't particularly remarkable at the time, and that he's pretty surprised that she amounted to such a big why deal. Why even say that? I don't why say know. anything then? <laughs> I don't know why the professor said that, but he said it often enough that my friend who took a class with him was like, oh, you're watching Patty Jenkins' movies? Let me tell you this fact that I know about her. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I had that information I in the back like of my head. I feel like saying more about the professor's bad judgment than yeah, anything else. quite frankly, because she's a good filmmaker, but, like, I knew that. I had to say it. <laughs> I disagree with the professor. I think she's a fairly talented filmmaker. No, for sure. So during her time at AFI, she wrote and directed a short film called Velocity Rules, which was a superhero short film inspired by the works of Pedro Almodovar, which seems incongruous, but very interesting. Um, it won Best Short Film at 2001's Telluride Indie Fest and was screened in 2001 AS5 Fest. And it was there that she met Brad Wyman and Donald Kushner, who would then help her produce her Academy Award winning first film, Monster. Monster. Um, yeah, were you going to say something? Have you seen Velocity Rules? No, I couldn't find it Me anywhere. Me neither. Yeah, I looked Could for it. Could not find it anywhere at all. It sounded very interesting. I read some, like, plots about how it's, like, a housewife who gets superpowers. Yeah, I was surprised that it was a superhero. Movie. And I was so curious what made it Pedro Almodovar inspired. I wanted to see, like, was she just... Was it about, like, sexual repression? Was it about mothers? Was it about... I mean, it's about a housewife, so I guess right. it's about mothers. Does it have, like, incredible use of the color red? I didn't know, but I couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, I also think it would be remiss if I didn't mention Patty's career trajectory after monster I'm, yeah this is what i have a lot of questions about because it's crazy to me yeah and in 2003 patty jenkins directs monster a hell of a performance a, yeah a very a very good movie but like an insane grimy fucked up movie yeah. and then for 
like 15 years. years. Literally she, 15 years. She's not doing nothing during this time. She's directing television. Yeah, I was going to say. But then 2017 comes along and Marvel is like, hey, do you want to be the highest Wonder paid Woman. female director of all time? DC, and she's like, not Marvel. All right, you're right. Sorry, Sorry my mistake. I, my I mistake. am a DC fanboy, no, so no, no, I do no, have no. to correct you. You are there. right to correct me. But anyway, they're like, do you want to be the highest paid female director of all time? And she's like, yep, okay. Sure, why I'll not? Do that. <laughs> I was going to say, um, scrolling through her IMDb credits, you will notice that Patty did not translate the success of Monster into a string of like critical successes, yeah. box office smashes. Um, Patty didn't get a feature film again until 14 years later when she was handed the keys to Wonder Woman. So Patty moved to TV. She directed episodes of comedies like Arrested Development and Entourage, and she did mysteries like The Killing and dramas like Betrayal. So why did this happen? Because it's not that Monster was like one of those movies that's a critical and award seasons darling that just doesn't find commercial audience. Monster made $60 million worldwide mm. on a budget of $8 million. So it did fine. It's a cheap movie, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's two stars, very limited locations, a couple of squibs, some cars, and the licensing to some songs. It's a cheap movie to make outside of the two stars. And the license to Eileen Hornos's well, story, I, which was kind of stolen from Eileen Hornos. Yeah. Um, well, she died prior to the release of the Oh, well, yeah, she died, yeah. but I think she signed off on yeah. like the rights to telling her story. Yeah. Um, for unbelievably cheap. Cheap, yeah. yeah. She was. She, that's the story of her life, basically. Right. Um, yeah. So it's not that she needed a break from feature films either, Patty Jenkins. She tried to get two separate projects off the ground after the success of Monster. One of them was about the life of famous pilot Chuck Yeager, who broke the sound barrier, and the other one was set to feature Ryan Gosling. It was tentatively titled "I Am Superman," but neither of them got off the ground. What happened, in my estimation was that Patty Jenkins got pregnant. That's not in my estimation. That did happen during the production of <laughs> I Am Superman. The, the hypothetical baby that Jake has theorized. Yes. No, that did happen. She did become pregnant during the time of the stalled production of her follow-up feature film. And this is my conjecture, but this pregnancy, seemingly and inexplicably, was just enough to make all of Hollywood forget about monster like she became pregnant and then that's it you mean because she had to step away yeah for like about six months or so yeah and then like okay you don't get to make feature films anymore because you had to get pregnant yeah, well i mean longer than six months also because there's still work to do after the baby's out of your yeah body, you don't obviously. just like <laughs> it yeah. out and then <laughs> yeah. you're like all right go do you kid <laughs> well hopefully you're not like that if you are eileen wernos's parents you that's are what like happens that. yeah yes um, so I think it's very interesting to see how, and that's the reason I didn't stop just after we get to the first film here, because I think yeah. what happens immediately after Monster is, I mean, revealing about Hollywood as a system, but also shows how Patty Jenkins is kind of a chameleon, because, I mean, we'll get specifically to Monster, but stylistically, visually, and tonally, Monster and Wonder Woman? Totally insanely Very different. different yeah that's why i was saying that i was so surprised that like 15 years later they're like the monster lady that's the one who's gonna tackle wonder woman but i think it's that that foray into television that allows she also her... did like comedy and all different types of yeah. genres that you listed doing uh, during television like i was surprised to see that she did um arrested, arrested development, development. Yeah, and entourage wild. and mysteries yeah. so i think her going into television kind of forced her to become this chameleon of a director because when you're doing various different shows, you're adhering to like a style guide, you have showrunners that you need to answer to, so you're forced into 
like a mold. There are there aren't a lot of auteur television directors. directors yeah. yeah, except I mean, like the one exception I can think of off the dome is like Ryan Johnson, who directed like the three most famous episodes of Breaking Bad. Right. Um, right. But otherwise, like Patty Jenkins was forced to conform her style visually into specific parameters and i think that allows her to then go into wonder woman and a movie that is a kind of well, i mean these anthology anthological superhero movies are can be thought of as television yeah episodes, they're basically so a miniseries makes sense yeah yeah so that's patty jenkins's bio that's who that gets us to where we are so I guess let's talk about Monster. Monster. All yeah. right, we're going to really quickly Monster is about the most I think the most prolific female serial killer of all time. I don't know if she's the most prolific, but I'm fairly certain at least in America she's the first, I think. She she did a lot. Yeah, she did she, a lot of famous killing. female serial killer. Yeah. Um, um and and her her um romance with what, what's her name? Selby. Selby. Yes. Yeah. It charts, it starts with her breaking down, her truck breaks down on the highway. She meets this young woman who's in town because her parents found out that she's a lesbian and they sent her away to, you know, become not a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're like, a, I guess there are too many lesbian vibes here. Go live in a different house. And, go, be, go be with a bunch well, of Catholics. Well, I think the deal, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the idea. She'll go to church a lot. And, and she'll pray the gay away. Yeah, exactly. Um, they meet up at a bar. The relationship at first is not Yeah, it's a, it's a gay stable. bar by accident. Eileen Wernos is not planning on being gay. Yeah. But they hang out a bunch, end up falling in love. Yeah, and Eileen Wernos is hooking this whole time. Yeah, she's economically very tied up, has never been well off. And one of her Johns, while she's still with Selby, one of her Johns... Um, be- beats her, rapes her, and attempts to kill her. Attempts yeah. to kill and her. And in self-defense, she murders him. Takes, takes all his money, his money and his car, car, and is like, "Oh, this is a way to make money." Money. And we see her do that again and again, and try to justify it to herself in increasingly futile ways. Until finally, she goes to jail and gets redeemed. Redeemed, redeemed. in quotes by yes. not selling Selby out and S- taking the fall alone. Yes, so, I mean, I guess it's a little late for this, but I'll put it here, content warning, we're going to be talking about sex work, sexual violence, rape, all that jazz, is is not a fun discussion, this movie, because it's not fun it's content. It's very, very unfun content. It's grim, and it's dark. So, alright, Dan, initial thoughts, did you okay. like, you said you liked I, this movie. I, yeah, I definitely liked this movie. I went into this completely blind. So I knew nothing about Monster. Yeah. I didn't know anything about the cast, about the plot. about You didn't know who was in it even? No. Oh, okay. So I'm watching Monster and I'm like, at first, because I don't know what it's about at all. I, yeah. The the performance of, uh, of Eileen Wuornos, she's got these black shark eyes. Yeah. She's got huge, janky teeth. You did not know who Charlize Theron? She's got no eyebrows. Yeah, very pale. And if I'm you like, can even recognize what them. the hell? Who is this? It's Charlize Theron, one of the most gorgeous women on earth. Insane. Yeah, really an, an amazing performance. Yeah, there. I mean, the cliche gets thrown around a lot that, like, beautiful women have to, like, de-glam to, in order to get their Academy Awards. And Charlize Theron does do that, but... I mean, she does get ugly, but she also gives, like, an insane, intense insane, performance. Insane, super high energy, unbelievably manic 
and from it, start to finish. And but, it yeah, does also very nuanced. I was going to say, it does not come off as not to continually shit on Jared Leto, though he probably deserves it. It's not a Jared Leto <laughs> Joker performance where it's all affectation. Like, it feels no, very it feels grounded. so it's, real. And at first, I was like, is this, like, one of those movies where they have the person who it's about playing themselves? <laughs> you thought that was Eileen Wernos? Well, I didn't know anything about what the movie was. When she Fair. starts killing people, I'm like, okay, probably this is not. not Eileen. But when she's, like, hooking and trying to... Oh, you thought like, it was like it, uh, was heaven like, knows what kind of situation was, yeah, something like that. where a former like heroin addict is yeah. playing a heroin addict. Yeah. yeah. No, she's, I was going to say the first thing on a very base level, my reaction to this movie is the two leads, phenomenal. Patty Jenkins gets phenomenal performances out of Christina Ritchie, who hasn't done a ton else. She's in Speed Racer, which is a movie I love and very <laughs> few other people love. But she gets an incredible performance out of her and, like, one of the most lauded performances of the aughts out of yeah. Charlize Theron. I mean, really. Christina Ricci is, like, very, um, like, mellow. Me- I mean, mellow isn't the right word, but, like, comparatively mellow, very shy, super naive sort of character. So, like, very much polar opposites. Yeah. I mean, visually, they are, their characters also look. Christina Ricci is short, black hair. I don't know how old hair. Charlize Theron is, but she looks like she's seven feet tall in this. It is wild yeah, she, to see them next to each other. She, I think And yet they have pretty great tall. chemistry somehow. Yes. it. I was going to say, I mean, we could jump ahead. There is a sex scene between the two of them. And it's not like a titillating sex scene by any stretch of the imagination. No. It's not, it's, there is not a sense of male gaze about it. It's not no, shot no, very for much men. Not. It's not meant to be hot But all. it's sweet almost. Even though it's like directly after um, Aileen Wernos admitting like, yeah, I'm killing fuckers. <laughs> it still almost reads to me as sweet. And I think that's kind of the point. Well, it's, yeah, it's the first time Eileen Wernos, like, totally lets her guard down and, yeah. like, isn't hiding anything. And, like, the first time that someone in her life saw her and didn't abandon her. Yeah. So it has that emotional impact behind it. And it's just really beautiful. And it's still, though, a freaking horrifying I figure was gonna to say, look at. I say, you said you have more, you have a lot of thoughts on this movie. I want to hear, like, what do you think this movie is about? What's the point of this movie? Why do you think this movie gets made? I mean, I, I don't, I have, like, a, a million feelings about this. I mean, what what is it about? Go I would say, King. like, the plot is, like, about how, like, our circumstances determine so much about, like, what we do. Yeah. Which is, I mean, stated pretty explicitly. Yeah, I don't think this is a film that's subtle about its themes. No, no, definitely not. Go off about your thoughts on this movie. Don't even answer any specific questions. Okay, well, well, broadly, I... My my issue is that on on the one hand, and I felt this very strongly more so on my first watch Mm -hmm. than the second, Mm -hmm. but that, like, Eileen Wernos is so unsympathetic that, like, it's hard for this movie to work. Really? Because, yeah, well, we just see her start killing people, and there's a man who's like, call me daddy, and she's like, what are you, a child molester? Yeah. And then she kills him, and she's like, fucking pedophile! Like, obviously not. She's just, like, making up insane justifications in her mind, mm-hmm. and, like, killing these people who are, for the, the almost all of them who are yeah. pretty innocent, definitely don't deserve to die. Yes. And, like, flying off the handle, losing her cool, yes. and again, she has 
dead eyes like a shark. And I'm like, this is too unsympathetic of a character for me to want to go on any journey with her. Fair. And yet, at the same time, I also feel like it almost is too sympathetic to Eileen Wuornos, <laughs> who killed with pretty much no justification and like to put her in like a sweet romantic love story yeah. and see her like heroically take it the It feels fall. almost like in, it feel it's insincere to history and feels like whitewashing history to you in that yeah. regard. Yeah, when I, my second watch through, I felt that less strongly because I, I knew how it was going and I was mm-hmm. able to see like more of the, the subtleties, I guess, about Charlize's performance and the writing and about this character in general and what the movie is trying to say. It is so funny to me to hear you say that you found her unsympathetic. That's, that's, you have a hard time accepting that? I was, she was I was un- in on her from the beginning. The first I felt time we nothing. meet her, the first time we meet her, she goes, get your hands off me, I, I'm not a freaking dyke. Well, the first time you see her, let's talk about like the very opening of the film. There's a montage of her and she's telling about how she wanted, she believed that Everyone told her that if you believe in yourself and you believe in your dreams and you believe in love, you can achieve anything. And you see from the very beginning that she starts off as an innocent girl, sweet girl, sincere, who wants to be like Marilyn Monroe, wants people to love her. She wants to be a movie star and she genuinely believes that if she just like keeps meeting people, meeting guys specifically and getting attention from them, one of them will discover her. And immediately she's taken advantage of by everyone she meets she is a victim of her circumstance from the very beginning and it starts with like nice uplifting music and you see her getting her heart broken repeatedly and then there's a hard cut the music cuts off and the rain is pounding and you see her sitting under an overpass holding a gun mm-hmm. and you're like she's gonna fucking kill herself she's the movie starts with her at her absolute lowest and she comes in sad and angry and you recognize it's because no one's ever shown her kindness before. She does not know how to give love because she's never received any love. She's never shown any love. Right. Um, and so the reason she's immediately hostile to Selby, who offers to buy her drink, is because it's the only way she knows how to be. That's true. That's so true. as soon as Selby shows her an inch of kindness, she is taken in with Selby. And Selby's ad- not adoptive family, but the people she's staying with, she's like, Selby's family that she's staying with is telling her, do not trust they her. They hate her immediately. She is a hooker, which is so obviously she's so a wild, bad person. That lady, Selby's, I don't, I don't remember her character's name, but Selby's surrogate Mother, mom, in yeah. quotes, the, the lady who is telling Selby, who's taking care of her pretty much, is, yeah, she sees Eileen Wernos in pajamas. Yeah. That's for like three seconds. And she's like, that, that was a hooker. Yeah. Insane. <laughs> insane that she was able to recognize that. Just looked at her and it's like, that's a hooker. You do not trust these people. And there's a tension at the beginning where you're not entirely sure if Aileen genuinely likes Selby, if she's just taking advantage of Selby because people are implying that about her. And you don't really know her. You're right. The first thing you see is her being angry, saying, I'm not a dyke, basically. And you're compelled to believe that to a small extent that maybe she shouldn't be trusted. And I think that's playing off of 
like maybe natural inclinations where you're taught to believe that sex workers are duplicitous, even though there's obviously nothing inherently duplicitous about sex workers. They're just trying to get by. Right. I mean, I cannot stress enough how much I distrust her because of her lack of eyebrows and her dead shark <laughs> her eyes. Dead shark eyes. I mean, that is really the main thing. No, that's a for fair me. point. I mean, that's. I mean, Charlize Theron does not naturally look like that. That was a conscientious decision to make her look scary, basically. I mean, yeah, yeah. But I was, as soon as you, they have the roller skate scene, which is the second scene where Selby and a, it's their first date together yes, after yeah. they meet up at the gay bar and Don't Stop Believing love, comes I on. I love this era when you were able to unironically play Don't, Don't Stop Believing, Believing right? as it's, part of the score of your movie. I was going to say, it's before the last episode of The Sopranos and before Glee covers it. You could just play it and it's like, oh, great song, Journey, <laughs> we all love it. It's a song that everybody loves. Um, but yeah, Don't Stop Believing they comes They literally on. in the movie say, oh my god, god I, I love, love this song. song. Oh man, I love this song. And they start skating together, and it's very charming because Selby can't really skate, and Eileen guides her, and it's like, I'll, I'll take care of you. And then they just get closer and closer, kiss. and they start kissing, and then cut to them just going at each other at the back of a roller derby. <laughs> and from that point on, I'm just rooting for Aileen, even though I know that, yeah, she's probably going to start killing people. Yeah, I do not trust Aileen at all from the moment I saw her. And I... again, my second watch through, a little bit more nuanced, because, like, you're absolutely right that, like, we see... I mean, it justifies why she's like this. Yeah. But at the same time, it's still a very, very unsympathetic lead for your movie. Yeah. And I think that's... Even more impressive that it worked as well as it did. Yeah, you can't... I'm not going to say, like, Aileen did nothing wrong. She obviously does something wrong. She murders tons of people. The first one, 100% justified, and they become increasingly less justified. I mean, yeah, we also do see her try to not murder people. Like, she does try to get a job and go legit. It's not like she has fun murdering people. Like, it is very clear that, like, it's... It's traumatic for her. I think that's why this is such a great film. And it's because it illustrates so accurately the comorbidities of late capitalism. She's victimized by her economic class because she has nowhere to start. She's victimized by her gender because she is just kind of forced into sex work out of a necessity to survive. She's predated upon because of her gender, because of her class. And because Selby, of her looks, which are largely due to the lifestyle that she had no choice, choice but, but to, to live. live. Yeah. Selby and her are both predated upon because of their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And all of these comorbidities kind of force her into a scenario wherein she has no place to start. She's a victim of her circumstance. And even when she tries to get a job, because she's been behind, because she had no choice but to start behind, she can't catch up. She can't get a job. She wants to right. just get, we like, see, even a there's secretary a scene job. where she is interviewing to be a secretary at a law firm, and the guy in charge is like... Laughs her out. Laughs her out. It's like, hey, just, look, I freaking hate people like you. You have fun, have a decade-long party in Daytona, and then you want to join the rest of us who have worked hard to get where we are. I see. You're from Daytona Beach, and all of that looks great. It must be wonderful. But can I tell you something? Uh, When the beach party is over, you don't get to say, you know what? I think now I'd like to have what everybody else has worked their entire life for. It doesn't work that way. Like, obviously not understanding that Eileen has worked Never harder than anyone easy. in their whole lives every so, single day. Yeah. It doesn't go and 
justify her murders, but it explains them as a natural consequence of everything she's been through. When the system does nothing to help you, when police pull you over just because they know they can extort free sex out of you or free blowjobs, whatever the fuck, there's no safety net for her. There's nothing to protect her. So obviously she's going to have to find a way to survive she believes in the american dream she believes in it personified through love and selby so she's going to do anything she can to achieve it even if it means killing for it she is the most dedicated to the american dream she'll fucking kill for it and she does repeatedly yeah yeah i mean it's also like the amount of money that she's killing for is it's also very a small pittance. we see her walk into the hotel room and be like with, with selby and go you want money and throws it into the air and like it, maybe 40 singles all singles it's gotta be yeah like 30 40 bucks she's killing men for nothing money she's selling her soul every time she has sex it's a misery for her for like 30 bucks a pop it's it is such a unglamorous look into the life of sex workers and there's a moment at the roller derby pretty early on Mm -hmm. where selby's like wow men must be lining up to have you they must be throwing themselves at you which is that's the thing about sex work it's it it was romanticized it's romanticized and also it's like so looked down upon the john who tries to kill her like says man hookers I love him. I love him, and I hate him. <laughs> you I know, hate and she's him. like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's how it always is." <laughs> but and that's true. Yeah. Like they're glamorized for their availability and sexuality and lustiness, and they're assumed to be incredibly attractive. Like men are literally paying to have sex with you, and they will also, at any chance, try to kill you. Well, it's an unbelievably extreme example of what we see happen, like in America every day, where people who are like. So close to being the same class yeah. economically. Just like, we'll go to McDonald's and disrespect the people who work at McDonald's because they work at, McDonald's, at McDonald's providing a service that, that they, are they want. paying for. Yeah. But don't think deserve any dignity for for performing. Yeah, it's it's a harrowing film. And I think that's why I, I love it. Just because it kind of is this wonderful intersection of a discussion of class and gender and sexuality and it's 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 not purposelessly harrowing or miserable like this no i think it's exactly as harrowing as as it needs to be which is very harrowing harrowing. but it doesn't feel to me like it it takes any pleasure of course it doesn't indulge up images i want to i don't want to talk about the rape scene but i think it's important that we do i i forget where i heard it from but like someone once mentioned that like a good general rule for staging violence against women is not to do it Mm -hmm. so often once again rape scenes are like filmed through a male gaze in a way to be titillating like you see lots of naked women you just see like images of just exposed boobs and vaginas and butts everywhere. And no, I mean, you see absolutely nothing and except, like, Eileen Wernos's face bleeding. She's bleeding. She is shrieking. You see no, no parts of her body that would otherwise be sexualized. You no. just see her bleeding, screaming. And it's definitely the worst scene to watch. And anytime they don't have to show you her, they won't. They don't linger on the scene. They show her murdering the guy... 
and then they just cut away to her shrieking, and that's it. You don't linger on her body, you don't linger on his dead body. There's more time, I think, dedicated to watching her just kind of process the trauma and yeah. screaming in the woods than there is to the actual rape or the violence itself, which is, I think, the best Definitely, way yeah, the, to do the, it. A good way to do it, if you have to do it. Yes, yeah, so my point is, like, through that scene, you see, like, the film is not interested in pointless misery. It's all just in service of this idea that late capitalism and the compounding factors that make this world a hell to live in, just it's just massively unfair. It's garbage. It's shit. It's shit wall to wall. I will also argue that at this core, this movie is a love story. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. That's definitely the main thing is... I, well, okay, I mean, to we don't have to get too far into Wonder Woman yet, but I think that it's interesting that both of those movies are about That's where I was women leading. who are um, becoming, uh, lo- losing their naivety, I guess yes. is how I would put it, who start the, the film in a more naive place and then end it in a more nuanced, complicated place. And they get there through love. Through love, yeah, right. I... I was... Through love and through seeing the most horrendous shit shit you can possibly imagine. Just the debauched depravity of humanity. Yeah, so, and and with monsters specifically, like, Eileen starts out very jaded. It's actually kind of the opposite path of Wonder Woman. I would say Wonder Woman starts out very childlike and naive, and by the end of the movie becomes a little bit more jaded and cynical. Whereas Eileen Wuornos starts out super cynical not believing anybody or trusting anybody and then learns to open her heart and sacrifice herself for another person. I think that's actually very interesting. I don't know that I disagree, but I think that's an interesting interpretation of it because to me, I find that Wonder Woman is a film where, yes, she starts off very naive, but through the power of love and like her love of Steve, what Steve? Steve, yeah, Steve, Steve. something. Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah, Chris Pine, and her. She develops a love of humanity. She sees the best of what they're capable of, and right. yeah, it inspires her to be Wonder Woman and fight crime. To me, I think that ending. Yes, she walks into the light, and it's a white screen, and it's like walking into heaven. She does die. Yeah. Her last lines are something to the extent of she just reads off all these platitudes and she's like, well, they got to tell you something. Right. And I think it's an incredibly nihilistic ending. Like she she views love as like this manifestation of the American dream. Like she starts wanting fame and fortune and celebrity. And even in the end, she's just like, okay. I just want love. I want the love of this woman. If I have Well, I think you... it's stated pretty explicitly that Selby is the only thing that she believes in. There's yes. that scene in the fair where we, again, get narration. Yes. And she goes like, but I believed, believed in, in Selby. Y- yes, I believed in you. In you, yeah. And so she goes from wanting fame and fortune to just wanting the love of another person. That very basic need. And she can't get it. She... Th- she's just incapable for a moment and then she can't hold on to it it goes away so through love i think she becomes like she realizes what the world is and it's not a thing worth fighting for it's a thing that will chew you up and spit you out and then kill you for not being good enough Mm -hmm. like it's an incredibly nihilistic ending to me and she becomes yeah i mean i agree with that it's 
Monster is a super complicated movie, I yeah. think. So, like, laying out the character arc in simple terms is always going to leave something to be desired. But I think, and you say that trying to, like, measure out the character arc in a simple way is not possible. I think that's why I like it. I saw a couple of, I was just scrolling through some reviews that say, like, it's just your pretty bog standard biopic with some really good performances. No, it's, it's an insane biopic. disagree more. I think <laughs> it, like... I could not give a shit less about the historical Eileen Wernos after seeing this movie. Like, I genuinely... I had no interest in looking up what her real life was, and maybe that's a fault... That's a personal failing of mine, but I... Like, it wasn't important to me. The movie was not about the historical Eileen Wernos. It saw Eileen Wernos as, like, an interesting lens through which to view the horrors of late capitalism and this idea of love, and it was just like, all right... This is the theme. The story is about these ideas, and Eileen's just a convenient method through which to tell this story, which is, I think, what most which is a good way to do a biopic. Yeah, Yeah. I I mean, if it literally just told the facts of Eileen Wernos's life, you might as well be reading. You wouldn't take any of these themes away from it. It would just kind of be a nightmare movie. Yeah, it would just be like, wow, Eileen Wernos killed a lot of people. Also, very hard to actually know the facts of Eileen Wernos's life life. because she was a grifter from Florida who lied about literally everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, I don't know, she's dead. We will never get an objective look at Aileen Wernos. I don't know if we mentioned it, but yeah. Yeah, we did mention prior to the release of this film, she was executed. Like a year before this film was released. She was executed in 2002. This is 2003. Three, the film comes out, and I think they start working on it in 2001. Something like that. Yeah, seems about right. I think it's also worth mentioning that Patty Jenkins also wrote Monster. Right, yeah, yeah. And the writing is, like, one of the strongest parts of this movie. Yeah, nar- voiceover narration can become overbearing and shitty, but I think it is done really well here. It... Yeah, less so in Wonder Woman, I think. Um, both movies also start with childhood flashbacks and feature scattered narration. I was going to say, are we ready to go into Wonder Woman now? Uh, I mean, this is not if you... second film, but... I mean, I think we're trying to tie it into Monster. Yeah. Because, once again, originally Wonder Woman was going to be coming out around the time this podcast was released. It was a more timely release. I didn't just pull Patty Jenkins out of my ass, I promise. (laughs) Um, Wonder Woman is not that graceful. The second act... I mean, I think most of my issues with Wonder Woman are structural. Yes. And therefore can't be blamed on Patty Jenkins at all, because she didn't write it. Like, eight people wrote it. Yes. (laughs) Which, again, is probably part of the issue. It suffers from the problem that she's not able to overcome the issue with a lot of superhero movies where the first act is a slog of exposition and setting up backstory and setting up this extended universe or this place in the extended universe. Yeah. And it's just boring. <laughs> and then she meets Steve and she gets off the island and it's right, fun. Right, the first half of the second act I, I really like where they're fighting she goes to no man's land. She meet, she like gets stuck the, in fish out of water antics in England. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty fun. And then... Yeah, and then the... And then there's two... Okay, Wonder Woman. Again, we're not... This, the point of this podcast isn't to analyze Wonder Woman, but what I think happened in Wonder Woman... Yes. There was one twist too many. The David okay. Thewlis twist is so stupid. Okay, okay. So the twist is that Doofenshmirtz, or whatever <laughs> that German guy's name, is that he was Ares, the god of war, and that he is responsible for for suffering yeah. and war on Earth. Right? Wonder Woman puts that together. He's Ares. That's the twist. Then the second twist is that, no, 
He's actually not, not Ares. He's just a guy. Yeah. That's great, in my opinion. Two twists. Wonder Woman was wrong. People are capable of good and evil. evil. Which is the message of the movie. Yes. But then there's one more twist. But you need twist. a big dramatic But then there's one more man. twist where we find out that another guy was actually Ares, the David god of war. Thulis, and then there's a big, a big like, stupid fight. Yeah, that's my... So the movie kind of undercuts its own message there by trying to tell us that uh, people are able to choose whether they behave good or evil. But then also tell us that Wonder Woman was also right, though, that people were under the influence of Ares, the god of war, you and that, that he's also to blame. You need that big fight. Yeah. You always need that big fight. The first act is boring because it needs that exposition, and the third act is boring because it needs that big fight, and you need to find a way to get to the big fight. And the big fight is not particularly visually interesting. It's not thematically interesting. No. It's a it's shitty villain design. Yeah. The, the, the fight that's fun to watch is... In at like the German base, yeah. About halfway through the movie, where she's like sliding on the floor with her shield, and it goes. The one time there's good music in this movie, yeah, that's very fun. But I think the second act is where you're given freedom to actually try to tell the story you want to tell. You're not burdened by the necessity to tie this all together and tie it into the DC cinematic universe, and you're not burdened by having to, you know, like set all these mythologies up. You can just kind of tell a story with characters and that's where patty jenkins excels you know right. having characters who you care about do things you care about in situations that are interesting and i also brought up the television chameleon like her ability to act as a chameleon earlier because wonder woman is that's on full display she borrows the speed ramping from Zack snyder the color grading is a little bit more colorful than a typical yeah no DC this is film. definitely nicer to look at i mean it's kind of grungy but, it's still kind but of at, there are moments where i really love the aesthetic where it's like soft lighting and yeah. pretty saturated it looks almost like a like a painting when it's snowing during the um right after Where they're the, all dancing yeah that's very gorgeous nice. i love the, Lush, the storybook lovely. animations in the very beginning yes, of the yes. movie too i think those look sick so like she's able to take the established aesthetics and the toolbox that she's allowed to use within the dc cinematic universe and when given a chance to shine with it she does but still adhering to the established standards of the universe because i mean she had all that tv training where she's like okay I know I need things to look and feel a certain way. I can get that to happen while still, you know, doing my Patty Jenkins thing. Still, you've got to be doing the Patty, the Patty Jenkins, Jenkins thing. thing. Also, Wonder Woman really wants to take place in World War II, but it takes it place, takes in, place World in World War, War, War One. It just, for some reason, why did, I and guess because you don't want your villain to be Hitler or some no, shit. No, they did want their villain to be Hitler, though. Because the Germans are war. evil in this, but like, so Chris Pine well, lands... I think they needed their twist to be that the person you think is Ares isn't Ares. So if you say, you know, Hitler wasn't okay, actually I mean, it doesn't have to bad. literally be Hitler. It could be another German general. But that's my point. That's what they did. They're like, yeah. uh, Germany could still be the bad guy but here. The, but it can't, Chris Pine lands on the Amazon beach and he gets out. She's like who are you and who are they? And he's like, those are the bad guys. And it's like, well, in World War One, I, I don't know if you can really say that definitively. Yeah, World War One's a fucking mess of just alliances and shit going hard. So I thought wrong. that was kind of strange. Yeah, my issues with Wonder Woman are like mostly script Struck issues. The fact that it has to be a superhero again, movie. Patty Jenkins didn't have anything to do with. Yeah, I'm sure she was, was consulted for story purposes, but she didn't write Wonder Woman. No. I think she wrote Wonder Woman 1984, though. Yes. So, so I'm that, I, to I, am, I am pretty excited for that. Yeah. And Chris Pine's back somehow. Interesting. I don't know how, but he's back. Yeah. 
Okay. I'll see. He gets very dead in this movie, but... He's good, though. I love him. Any experience... You did a good job. I don't care. Bring him back. He's fun and charming. I mean, him and Gal Gadot interacting with each other are the best parts Very disappointed Chris Pine doesn't hang dong in Wonder Woman. No, they imply. They Im- the they do a fun little watch metaphor, but there's a stupid wanted... little scene where Calcutta walks in on him while he's naked and he does nothing. And they to show cover abs, but not dick. And I'm like, guys, come on now. You know what we're here to see, and it's Chris Pine Peen. Give it to me. Okay. Anyway, Wonder Woman <laughs> and Monster, essentially both both movies. Both movies about love. Both about... movies about cynicism and. And whether people are good yeah. or evil, and both featuring scattered voiceover, which works way less well in Wonder Woman, yes. I think. And then also Wonder Woman is framed with Gal Gadot visiting the Louvre. Oh yeah, the framing reading and totally sending an email to Batman. They love their emails in the DC Cinematic <laughs> so, Universe. Batman so loves not sending good for emails. that to be the first and last image is Gal Gadot sending an email. Yeah, I, I find that movies love unnecessary framing devices very often. I don't get it. Yeah, just there's nothing gained by starting the movie this way, other than to shoehorn Bruce and Wayne yet into you it love occasionally. Grand Budapest. Yeah, because it's a movie about <laughs> stories, my guy. It's this movie about telling stories. All right, Jake's mad at me now. Fuck <laughs> oh, you, no. man. Eat shit. Die. Okay, I think I think we basically said everything we wanted to say, didn't we not? Yeah, I was gonna say. Do you have any final thoughts on Monster? Do you have any thoughts on Miss Jenkins? Anything you want to say? Um, I think that I pretty much covered, pretty much covered everything that I wanted to cover. Yeah. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about Tom in Monster, Bruce Stern's character. Oh yeah, Eileen Wuornos has one friend. Yeah, he's, he's a heartbreaking character. I just, Bruce Stern's very good. I wish he was in more things. I, him trying to get Eileen, Eileen gets arrested at the very end of the movie. Um, the feds come and get her. And at first blush, you're like, what is he trying to do? Is he trying to seduce her? Because at the very beginning of the movie, Tom is the and like Tom is the only person that shows her any kindness. Right. Well, this movie takes place in such an insane world that when <laughs> Tom is like her landlord or something, she's she living in like a storage keeps locker. Keeps her shit at a storage yeah. locker that she, Tom owns. And she owes him rent and she's like, I'll suck your dick if you want. And Tom goes, No, no you no, don't no, have no. to. And this movie's takes place in such a grim world that he says, nah, don't worry about it. And, and I he's go, the nicest man. <laughs> he gives her a ham sandwich he's and he takes not, a bite out of him. He's making her suck A beer, dick. and he's like, nah, don't suck my dick. Yeah, so um, we, we establish that Tom is a, is a good guy. Good guy. By dint of him not asking to have his dick sucked. Right. That's a good guy <laughs> in this universe. And then he kind of implies to her that you need to get out of here I'm well, gonna go with that you. Bounty hunters are, are at here. Spiker yeah. bar, and they're trying to. And get she is her too drunk to notice yeah. that. So he does. I gotta call my girl. Yeah, I gotta call my fucking girl. He is so desperate to get her out of there because he knows that she's gonna get arrested. He's like, uh, "Please, just come with me." And she's like, "No, I will not suck your dick, Tom." And it, I said that that almost sounds funny, but it's like. Very serious. I, she doesn't say... I think she says... Not for n- not, you, Tom. No, she says, not you. Oh, yeah. I, I interpreted that as, like, everyone has disappointed me, not you, yes, me, Tom. That's right. what I was right, getting right. at. And it's so heartbreaking. Just, you get basically two or three scenes with Tom, and just give Patty Jenkins three scenes with a character, and she's able to set up 
a wonderful arc where you establish his kindness, you see him empathizing with her, and then you are able to get such like a profound sense of betrayal that wraps up this film where you're heartbroken for Eileen because she thinks that the one person who's ever shown her kindness outside of Selby, another just man who disappoints her, and you see Tom's look in his eyes as Aileen's taken out of the bar with the bounty hunters, and he realizes this is it for her. Yeah, she immediately gets unrested. And just the way she's able to convince, like, convey such deep and profound emotion. Yeah, that's true. We only so get like quickly. three scenes with him. And he feels like I mean, we didn't talk about him. That's because he's only in three scenes. But she's able to coax a good performance out of Bruce Dern, who is not difficult. Bruce <laughs> Dern's a great actor. And just such pathos out of so little time. I think Patty Jenkins is really a good director, even if I didn't love Wonder Woman. But I did love Monster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, amazing writer, too. Yeah. Very good. Very excited for Wonder Woman 1984 whenever it comes out. Yeah. I mean, written and directed by Patty with an insane budget. So, yeah. could so, be very good. And she doesn't have the constraints of necessarily having to, like, set up the characters. You can just go That's buck true. wild That's true. We don't have wants. to start with the, with the child actor. Just go buck fucking wild. Um, all right, so that's Monster cool. and Patty Jenkins. I was remiss that I didn't plug you last time. Jake put together every single song that's in a Wes Anderson <laughs> movie into a Spotify playlist that I definitely recommend everyone check out. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it in, I guess, this show notes, because you can listen to us on Spotify, so I will link to the Spotify yeah, playlist Yeah, the music of Wesley somehow. Wales Anderson. Yes. Definitely should watch that. Every... Listen to that every um every song that isn't original score yes every piece of non-original score music in a wes anderson make it your love making playlist make it your workout Workout playlist playlist and everything in between (laughs) um all right so yeah you can listen to our other podcast commercial boys on spotify youtube wherever you're listening to this uh podcast you can also listen to commercial boys yes we review um, commercials. <laughs> yes, or you can follow us at Commercial Boys Pod at Commercial Boys on Twitter. Um, Dan, where can people find you? People can find me at Dan Feingold on Twitter. People can find me at Aaron Berkowitz on Twitter, spelt like the 18th century politician that killed Alexander, Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. That's yeah. that's the guy's you name. Got him. Um. <laughs> all right. Cool. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Bye. Bye.